You're listening to the Aromatic Wisdom Podcast, episode number 64. If you're an aromatherapist or a wellness advocate or anyone who works with essential oils and other people, meaning you're using essential oils to help other people, have you ever stopped to consider what it means to work within your scope of practice? Are you even clear on what the term scope of practice means? Well, keep listening because that's the topic I'll be teaching in today's episode. You're listening to the Aromatic Wisdom Podcast with your host, Liz Fulcher. If you're interested in learning about essential oils, hearing interviews with industry experts, and discovering ways to grow your own aromatherapy business, this is the podcast for you. For more information and show notes, visit the website at aromaticwisdominstitute.com. Now sit back, relax, take a deep breath, and enjoy as Liz shares a dose of aromatic wisdom. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Aromatic Wisdom Podcast, where together we explore the fascinating world of all things aromatherapy. I may sound a bit nasally today. I sound nasally to myself. Uh, I'm at the tail end of a cold, which I rarely get colds anymore. When I say anymore, I mean, working with essential oils, it's it's rare that I get anything because of the antibacterial properties of the aromatics. But last week, I was on vacation with my family. And one by one, we all came down with the crud. My son, Gianluca, had been in London, and he flew in on Saturday, and we met together as a family on Sunday. And by Monday, it was like a domino effect. We all came down with it. So thank you to whoever was on the plane in London. No, it was not COVID. It was just a cold. In today's Smell My Life segment, which is always at the end of the podcast, I'll talk more about the colds that we had and how I addressed it when we were on vacation. So one more thing before I get into today's topic, very important thing, I have to express my deep appreciation to every one of you who supports the podcast through Patreon. And today I want to give a shout out to five brand new members of the Patreon page. I call them my Aromatic Wisdom Insiders. They get bonuses and they get to support the podcast and it's I, hopefully it's a win-win. So there are five names I'm going to say. I'm going to say the first name and the last initial. I feel in the interest of privacy, that's what I feel most comfortable doing. Um, so here we go. Thank you so much to Cynthia F., Dawn A., another Cynthia F., I had to double check when that one came in, and indeed they have different last names, Karen N., whom I've known for, I don't know, 30 years, 25 years, and Aurika M., who joins us from Ukraine. Thank you again so much to my new patrons. And if you'd like to learn more about how to become a patron and what you receive, you can go to patreon.com forward slash aromatic wisdom. Okay, I'm ready. You ready? Let's dive into today's topic. So today we're taking a look at the term scope of practice um, within the context of aromatherapy. So first thing I want to say is I'm using the term aromatherapist loosely. Anyone who works with essential oils, whether you call yourself a clinical aromatherapist, a beginning aromatherapist, an essential oil consultant, an aromatherapy practitioner, a wellness advocate, it doesn't matter. If you are a person working with essential oils, 
what I'm talking about today applies to you. Next, I'm going to give you a very formal definition of scope of practice within the context of healthcare. It's a little dry because I'm reading it, but it's super important to get that language down. And then I'm going to give you three examples of how an aromatherapist can stay within their scope of practice, which is really great uh, information, very applicable to real life using essential oils. Okay, general definition of the term scope of practice. Working within your scope of practice means you are performing tasks and providing services that align with your specific training, your education, and your professional qualifications. It refers to activities, responsibilities, procedures that are legally and ethically allowed for you to participate in a particular profession. Every profession has its own scope of practice, whether you're a doctor, a nurse, a respiratory therapist, an occupational therapist, and every profession has definitions that define the boundaries and limits of what they're allowed to do based on their credentials. These boundaries are in place to ensure that professionals work within their area of competence and do not engage in activities that could harm individuals or go beyond their capabilities. By working within their scope of practice, professionals can provide high-quality services, make informed decisions within their specific domain. In a nutshell, scope of practice describes the services that a qualified health professional can undertake in keeping with the terms of their professional license. Now, listen, this is important. If I lost you while reading that definition, please come back. Aromatherapy is currently an unlicensed and unregulated profession. So we aromatherapists fall into that weird gray area in which we are addressing health and wellness for ourselves, for other people, using a very powerful substance, essential oils, that can, dare I say it, that can treat and heal physical and emotional conditions. Those of us who've worked with essential oils for a long time have seen some remarkable healing that has happened with essential oils. However, because we're not regulated, because there's no one watching what we do. There is no licensing. There's a huge margin of error, especially if you're using essential oils with minimal experience and minimal education. The good news is there are a lot of aromatherapy organizations around the world that help us understand our scope of practice. I'm going to put a list in the show notes, actually a link to a list in in the show notes. So I really invite you to go in and look at the list and join an aromatherapy organization that you feel uh, drawn to because it will really help you as a practitioner, even if you're only using essential oils for yourself. All right, now I'm going to give you three examples of how an aromatherapist can work within their scope of practice. Number one, essential oil recommendations. When you recommend a specific essential oil to someone, it should always be based on your personal education and your knowledge of that oil's therapeutic properties and guidelines for safely using it. Even if you know just a couple of essential oils, let's just say you you are new to aromatherapy and you feel really comfortable knowing uh, three essential oils, you've had maybe a little class, you've used them, and you feel uh, a 
really confident with their safety guidelines, that's when you want to, it's okay to recommend it. You have to remember though, also, we are never recommending essential oils as a substitute for pharmaceutical drugs. We don't uh, diagnose, we don't treat, we don't treat the disease or the condition. We consider the whole person and their concerns, their challenges. Once we have this information, then, you know, then you can come up with um, an essential oil recommendation. I've had people ask me, this has happened so much in my life as an aromatherapist, and probably to any of you out there listening, you've had this happen at least once, where someone says, Liz, what oil would you recommend for a headache? Well, I have a lot of questions to ask before I can answer that. Who is getting the headache? What is their age? Have they seen a doctor? What has helped? What doesn't help? What makes it worse? What have you tried? You can't just say, oh, I know all about lavender. Lavender is good for headaches, although actually lavender is good for headaches. I mean, you could say that if you said, I don't know because I'm very new at this. This is keeping within your scope, ladies and gentlemen, by saying that, well, I'm new. However, in the bit of training that I've had, I know that lavender has been helpful for stress and that may be helpful. It's also a very safe oil to recommend. So when you've taken all those things into consideration, only then should you make an essential oil recommendation. Number two actually dovetails very nicely with number one, and it's also extremely similar. Blending techniques and methods of use. One of the things that aromatherapists commonly do is create a customized blend of essential oils for someone else, for a client, for a family member, for a friend. These blends can be used in various applications, massage oils, diffusers, personal inhalers, in creams, in oils. There are loads of ways, methods of applications of uh, essential oil blends. Aromatherapists know that they're working within their scope of practice if when blending, they are understanding dilution ratios, they understand a bit of chemistry, they understand potential contraindications that will create a safe and effective blend, they consider age, health conditions, any medications the person is using. They need to also consider the carrier. Is it the right carrier for that specific problem. Some carriers are too light, some are too heavy. Some carriers can really help, some can hinder. So everything that you make in that blend should be suitable for the individual specific circumstances. There is no one size fits all blend. If you make a recommendation or you make someone a blend, even if it's free, you should confidently be able to explain why you chose that, those essential oils, that method of use, that carrier. So for example, if you make a roll-on blend because you found a recipe on Pinterest, there are so many recipes on Pinterest that are not appropriate and everybody's making them. So if you find one on Pinterest, you make a roll-on blend, follow that recipe, that's not okay. Unless you are familiar with every oil in that blend, you understand why they chose a roll-on and then, and you understand why that specific carrier was used. I have followed recipes that I read and thought, oh, yeah, this is these oils are all appropriate and that's fine because I know those oils. I've read others where I've I'm appalled at what they've what they're uh, suggesting for the general public. On the other side of that same aromatic coin, 
you know, if someone asks you to make a roll on using XYZ oils, if they say to you, hey, Mary Smith, I found this roll on on Pinterest, will you make it for me? You should say no if you feel it's not appropriate and you should be able to explain why it's not a good choice for them. You should be able to explain that the dilution is too strong or the oils aren't recommended for that issue or a roll-on is not the best method because of blah, blah, blah. And again, if you make a blend for someone, you should be able to defend that blend. It's one of the things I always tell my students. I have an aromatherapy certification program. And when my students do case studies, I always call it... um there's a moment of defend your blend. Why did you make that blend? Why that dilution? Why did you choose a cream when, when instead of a, an oil? When you're working within your scope of practice, you can confidently say why you make your recommendation and why you do not. Please don't say, well, that's how I was trained. That's what my upline told me it was safe to do. Um, this doesn't tell the client anything about what, about your knowledge about why that particular blend is the right or the wrong choice. To ensure that you're working within your scope of practice as an aromatherapist, you should be asking a lot of questions. What, what do you recommend for a headache? What do you recommend for insomnia, depression? Those are all very common things, muscle pain. And I want to say, are you kidding? How can I answer that? I don't know who's getting the headache. Give me some people. If you went to a doctor and said, doctor, I have a headache. And he said, oh, okay, here's your prescription. Bye. Hope you feel better. Yeah, I know we're not doctors, but we are practitioners of a healing modality, regardless of our level of training. So actually, let's talk for a minute about level of training and blending and scope of practice. Imagine you have no training in essential oils, but you did take a little three-hour workshop on the benefits of lavender essential oil for sleep and stress. And in that workshop, you did a make and take. Uh, you learn how to make a nasal inhaler with 15 drops of lavender essential oil. You learned that lavender has specific therapeutic properties that make it soothing to the central nervous system. You learned that it has very few safety issues. You learned that a nasal inhaler is a really good delivery method of lavender for stress and sleep because the client can take it to bed with them. They can carry it in their pocket. You've learned that 15 drops is the amount that's used because that is pretty much how much essential oil it takes to saturate the wick inside the nasal inhaler. You completely understand this product that you've made, and therefore you can confidently share it with your friends. That is working within your scope of practice. But supposing your friend says, oh, I don't like lavender. Can you use eucalyptus instead? I really like that. Switching oils to something you're not familiar with is not within your scope of practice. One of the really alarming trends I've found when it comes to scope of practice is the use of essential oils for ingestion. When someone tells a group of people, put lemon essential oil in your water and drink it, I would like that person who's recommending that to tell me what's happening when that essential oils enter my body? What's happening in my digestive tract? How is the essential oil helpful? How could it not be helpful? I think that they should really understand the process of what's happening when essential oils are ingested. Why essential oil? Why wouldn't you recommend tea or drinking a hydrosol or, or a, um, what do you call it? A tincture or heck, even food. Things that have historically through eons Proved, been proven to be safe for ingestion. Why would you recommend essential oils unless you've had really specific training on that method of use? 
If someone shares a recipe with you and you have questions about it, ask. Just say, why did you recommend these oils? Or why did you put those oils in that that blog post? Or in that uh, class, why are you recommending these oils? Why are you recommending a cream? Oh, because a cream absorbs faster and it's better for that condition. I see. Okay, now I um, I have a better understanding. And that is now within your scope of practice. All right, let's move into number three. You'll see there's a bit of overlap on all of these, and that's fine. Number three is education and information. So one important role that you play as an aromatherapist is educating your clients, educating them about safe and appropriate use of essential oils. That is a tremendous part of what we do. We can't just say, here's your thing, and that'll make you feel better. Talk them through it. Explain how they should use it and why you recommended those oils and maybe when not to use it. Educate your clients. Don't just hand them their blend and say, good luck. You should be providing information on general principles of aromatherapy. Again, methods of application, the benefits, and the risks of using certain essential oils. To ensure that you're working within your scope of practice, please avoid making any claims providing advice beyond your experience. So you've had that three-hour lavender workshop, but you're also a licensed massage therapist or a licensed acupuncturist. Then you're qualified to offer guidance within that scope of practice. So you may say, okay, I've got this um, sniffy blend. Some people call them sniffies or sniffy sticks. You've got your lavender nasal inhaler to help your client with stress and sleep. But as an acupuncturist, you may also recommend an acupuncture session that will further help their condition. Or as a massage therapist, you may say, and here's some nice stretches you can do before bed. If you really want to be seen as a professional in the eyes of your client, it's best to acknowledge where your education ends and refer your clients to a qualified healthcare professional for as a proper, you know, medical diagnosis if the their condition requires it. A big one is is anxiety. I have a lot of people come to me asking for aromatherapy for anxiety. I have a lot of massage clients who are anxious. Anxiety is just a huge part of our society today. As aromatherapists, we have at our fingertips tons of essential oils that can be helpful with anxiety. They're very terrific for your central nervous system. There are a lot of different ways that you can use it. So when it comes to, you know, occasional anxiety or generalized anxiety, that can come up in life. If somebody's moving or somebody's going through a hard time because perhaps they're going through um, some transition in life, they're going through a divorce, their kids have left for college, we can help them. If they're starting to show symptoms of something much bigger, recognize, okay, I'm out of this. This is, this is beyond what my training. This is beyond what I comfortably know, beyond my scope of practice. I think it's time I refer my client to an appropriate qualified professional Um, My job is to play a supportive role in helping them not to diagnose and not to treat. So just to recap, because that is the third one, the recap, the three areas to help you stay within your scope of practice as an aromatherapist, essential oil recommendations, always recommend only the essential oils that you really know well and even have had personal experience with, blending techniques, Make sure that you understand dilution ratios, you understand carriers, you understand why you're referring 
I beg your pardon, why you're recommending that specific blend for that body part for that with that carrier. And finally, education and information. When you're giving out information, our job is to help educate our clients. We don't just hand them a blend and send them home. We talk to them, we educate, we inform, and we guide, and we also refer to somebody else when it is starting to become out of their scope of practice. Those are the three examples that I have for you today. They really are kind of what just came to the top of my head as I prepared for this episode. It's a very big conversation, this this business of scope of practice. Uh, in each of these three examples, working within the scope of practice as an aromatherapist involves applying knowledge of essential oils, safety guidelines, understanding personal limitations to help you ensure the well-being and safety of your clients and also, you know, protecting yourself, being a responsible practitioner. If you stay within your area of expertise, you will be a great aromatherapist. You'll provide effective and responsible care to anyone who who's seeking out your your help. Okay, I think that's enough on scope of practice for today. How about we take a minute and smell my life? So at the beginning of the episode, I told you that uh, my family and I had been on our beach vacation. My son brought a cold and we were seven people and I think only only two people didn't catch the cold or didn't manifest it during the trip. The rest of us were sneezing and blowing our nose. Luckily, mom brought five or so boxes of tissues because my mother always did that. And now I do that. But it was a really good thing. So what I want to tell you is how I addressed, well, a number of things with essential oils while we stayed. It was a condo that we rented at the beach. And we were stayed in Ocean City, Maryland, which is mm, about five hours from where I live, and we go every summer. And when I travel, especially if I'm not flying, and I can, I can bring, I have a little pouch of essential oils, and I can bring as many as I want. But I always bring tea tree, lavender, and helichrysum for sure. That's like my first aid kit. And I'll often throw in peppermint. This time I put in rosemary. I don't know why. I just sort of grab a handful of oils and put them in the pouch. And I'm never quite sure what I'm going to use them for, although I do have some ideas ahead of time. Sometimes I will wipe down the doorknobs or I'll even wipe down the toilet. And it may sound like overkill because they have people that come in and clean, but I don't, um, you know, I don't know how well they clean. So this time, the first thing I did, we had to, they gave us linens for our beds, but we had to make up the beds ourselves. So I took the lavender essential oil and I, I sort of anoint the beds with it. I sprinkle lavender essential oil all over the mattresses. I do that as much for, just for aromatic enjoyment as much as anything. So I sort of stand next to the bed and I just flick essential oils across the bed it looks like I'm anointing the bed. I'm not. It's just a really quick way to get a bunch of essential oils on the mattress. And I go around and I do all the bedrooms. Then we make up the sheets. And of course, when everyone gets in that night, oh, the mattress, the, the bed smells good. So that is one thing I do. The second thing, um, as I said, sometimes it depends on the on the on my mood. It depends on the facility. That sometimes I'll wipe down surfaces, uh, refrigerator doorknobs, things like that. And that's so that we don't get their germs, but we brought our germs. So I'm hoping the people that came after us were as much into essential oils as I was. 
But what we did, in, what I did with, with the cold, John Luca was the first to manifest it. He started on Monday with sneezing and sneezing and blowing his nose. So I found a big bowl and I had him do a steam inhalation where he put his head over the bowl. I put in one drop of tea tree and he did that, put a towel over his head and, you know, breathed in the steam for a good five or 10 minutes. And I think he did that a couple of times uh, that first day. After that, he didn't want to do it anymore. So we all did that to, uh, to at least once when we all started to show signs of the cold. The other thing I did was as people were getting congested, I did not have any inhalers with me and I didn't have a diffuser with me, which I usually do bring, but I didn't this time. But because I had a lot of tissues and paper towels, I would put some tea tree on a paper towel and fold it over and just have whoever was I was addressing sniff it. So it acted kind of like a nasal inhaler, and that helped to kill bacteria. Uh, I wiped down nightstands with tea tree, all of this just to kind of keep the germs away from each other. And, and then, of course, we were at the beach, so we spent a lot of time out in the sunshine just kind of trying to dry out and soak up. None of us were very, very sick. None of, nobody had a fever. We just were snotty. And as I said earlier, we tested. It was not COVID. It was just a good old summer cold. So I was really glad I had my essential oils with me. And that is pretty much how I used essential oils on our vacation. Um, in the past, what I've done when we've stayed at a hotel is I never know how clean the ductwork is in a hotel. <clears throat> what, what's really coming out of the register when the air blows in the room. So I'll often take a hand towel and wet it, lay it across the register where the air comes out, and sprinkle essential oils on that. And so the air is being filtered through the washcloth or through the hand towel, and essential oils are also coming into the room. And I tend to do that with lemongrass. Part of it is because I just love the way lemongrass smells. And that was it. That's how I used essential oils this week. And that's this week's segment of Smell My Life. And that wraps it up for the Aromatic Wisdom Podcast, episode number 64 on scope of practice in aromatherapy. If you would like to check out Patreon, again, it is patreon.com forward slash aromatic wisdom. Thank you so much for spending some of your precious time with me again today. And I guess I'll see you next time. Until then, say it with me. Be happy, be well. <laughs>